But welcome, brothers and sisters, to church. This is kind of a funny doing church this way this morning because I'm uh, preaching with a room with, with four people in it and everybody else who's on the internet. So it's exciting to, to see you here this morning. I want to, to read to you as we begin our time together from the prophet Habakkuk. Chapter 1, verse 5 says something interesting. It says, Look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed, for I am doing, I'm going to do something in your days that you would not believe, even if you were told. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you are an amazing God and you do things that we wouldn't believe, that we don't understand. Yet today as we come before you to worship and to pray and to hear from your word, we ask that you'll fill us afresh with your spirit, that we might continue to worship you in spirit and in truth. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. God's doing something in our days that we wouldn't believe even if we were told. I would never have believed as a pastor that I would be asked to shut my church. And yet I've done that. That's, that's completely against the grain for any minister. And yet we see pastors all around the world shutting their churches. So what's happening now is we're finally getting back to that understanding that the church was never about the building that we're in. The church has always been about the people. And we're getting back to that focus again, that the church is about the people. God cares about you as an individual. And so now we're doing church in a completely different way. We're reaching out to people in ways that we never thought possible. Here at Doyleson Baptist Church, we're, we're coming to terms with technology in ways that we <laughs> still a bit, yeah, gobsmacked by and I'm wondering what we do next. But we're doing it. And as we put our messages out on the internet, instead of just reaching a little group of people meeting in here in this wonderful building, we're able to reach anybody who can connect to the World Wide Web. Or for some of us, we're even producing CDs and DVDs and that sort of stuff too. So anyone who's got some sort of technical means can now hear the gospel. So how wonderful that is. So I'm excited that God is doing amazing things in our day. I would like to, to spend a little time in, in, in prayer. But before I do that, um, I would encourage you that the Australian Christian Lobby has has asked for people, Christians everywhere, to get together between 7 and 8 p.m. each evening to spend some time in prayer with regard to this COVID-19 virus. And it's important that we as God's people do get together to pray. And I want to encourage you to pray because I don't know if you've noticed lately, but I went out this morning, looked at my rain gauge, and there was water in the rain gauge. Now, you might recall that not very long ago, we were praying because of the drought. And the Bureau of Meteorology was telling us that there's going to be a drought for a long time yet. But what happened? People got together to pray and it's been raining. So God answers our prayers. I want to encourage you. Be faithful in your prayer and believe that God is going to answer your prayer. Let's spend some time. Father, we thank you that we can come before you so freely in the name of Jesus, our Saviour and our Lord. And we do want to pray this morning, Lord. We want to lift up to you our world that's round about us. And we especially pray for our leaders. I'd hate to be involved in the kind of leadership that they're involved in now, Lord, because it doesn't matter what they do, someone's going to disagree with you. So, Father, we pray that you give them wisdom and insight and the ability to deal with the situation in the best possible way.
We pray, Lord, for people that are affected at the moment, affected by the virus in so many different ways, not just those that are getting ill, but those that are losing their work, those that are disturbed, disquieted by the whole thing, those that are affected in their education, those that are affected by having people around about them and at home, and they're just stressed everywhere. Lord, and I see that so much. So I ask, Father, that by your Spirit you'll move in a sovereign way, that people around this world will recognise again that we cannot depend on the things of this world and we need to turn to the one true God. So I ask, Father, that in these last days that your spirit would continue to move in mighty ways in hearts, that many would come to you, <clears throat> would come to know Jesus as their Saviour and their Lord. Father, I pray that many more captives will continue to be set free. Oh God, we need you. We need to see you at work. And Lord, we think of nations that are around about us. Here in Australia, we're, we're still pretty strong and able to, to deal with things, even though it's a, a, an issue and a problem. Yet there are little places, little countries that get affected and their economies get smashed. Lord, I pray for them to enable us who are wealthy to have big hearts and be prepared to share with them. And Father, I pray for those in, just in our immediate congregation that are at home and feeling lonely. May they sense your presence with them. May they know our love for them. And enable us, Lord, as your people to continue to be bold, to reach out, just to make the phone call when necessary. And Father, when we, we don't know how to pray, I thank you that the Spirit intercedes for us with groans that we wouldn't even understand. And yet our Lord Jesus taught us how to pray when he said, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory, now and forever. Amen. What I'm going to do now is, uh, in our shorter than usual service, I want to, I want to move to, to the reading from God's Word. We've been working through a series looking at the prison experiences of the Bible. And uh, when I chose to start this series, I never realised how incredibly pertinent it was going to be. That all of us in many ways are undergoing some sort of a prison experience now. And, and being confined to our own homes is, is, is something quite unusual for many of us. We're, we're used to being out and about and being able to do what we want to do whenever we want to do it. So prison experiences, they're, they're something that we all can understand and, and relate to even more now. I want to read to you this morning a fair bit of, of, from the prophet Jeremiah. And my, my reading is from Jeremiah chapter 32 verses 1 to 15. I'm going to use a whole lot more verses from that particular chapter in my message, but let's just do the reading from Jeremiah chapter 32, verses 1 to 15. This is a story about Jeremiah buying a field. This is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord in the 10th year of Zedekiah, king of Judah, which was the 18th year of Nebuchadnezzar. The army of the king of Babylon was then besieging Jerusalem, and Jeremiah the prophet was confined in the courtyard of the guard in the royal palace of Judah. Now Zedekiah, king of Judah, 
had imprisoned him there, saying, Why do you prophesy as you do? You say, This is what the Lord says. I'm about to hand this city over to the king of Babylon, and he will capture it. Zedekiah, king of Judah, will not escape out of the hands of the Babylonians, but will certainly be handed over to the king of Babylon, and will speak with him face to face and see him with his own eyes. He will take Zedekiah to Babylon, where he will remain until I deal with him, declares the Lord. If you fight against the Babylonians, you will not succeed. Jeremiah said, The word of the Lord came to me. Hanamel, son of Shalom, your uncle, is going to come to you and say, Buy my field in Anathoth, because as nearest relative it is your right and duty to buy it. Then, just as the Lord had said, my cousin Hanamel came to me in the courtyard of the guard and said, Buy my field at Anathoth in the territory of Benjamin. Since it is your right to redeem it and possess it, buy it for yourself. I knew that this was the word of the Lord. So I bought the field in Anathoth from my cousin Hanamel and weighed out to him 17 shekels of silver. I signed and sealed the deed, had it witnessed and weighed out the silver on the scales. I took the deed of purchase, the sealed copy containing the terms containing the conditions, as well as the unsealed copy, and gave this deed to Barak, son of Neriah, the son of Mahasiah, in the presence of my cousin Hanamel, and of the witnesses who had signed the deed, and of all the Jews sitting in the courtyard of the guard. In their presence I gave Barak these instructions. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Take these documents, both sealed and unsealed, copies of the deed of purchase, and put them in a clay jar so they will last a long time. For this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Houses and fields, vineyards, will again be bought in this land. This is the word of the Lord. Father, I pray today that as I speak from these words, that we'll have open hearts and minds to understand them, and that we'll understand the relevance, the, the incredible power indeed of these words for our day-to-day living. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. The topic I want to look at today is prison experiences, of course. That's what we're working through. But I want to look at the prison of God's purposes in our lives. Now, our God is is a mysterious God. He works in ways that, that you and I cannot understand. He declares this very thing in his words. He says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither your ways, my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Our God is an amazing God. He's doing wonderful, eternal things in your life and in mine. He's a God who's working in a sovereign, unstoppable plan. He does what he does in us and around us. And we find ourselves often standing back and scratching our head and going, what is God doing? What's what's going on around here? Because there are times when we, we find ourselves caught up in this vortex of what God is up to. Things are going on around about us. They seem to make no sense. Have you ever been there? Can you identify with that? You know God is in control, but he's up to something and the sense of this unknown seems to bother us quite deeply. I think that's the place where Jeremiah finds himself in these verses. He's in prison and God is doing something in him, to him and around him that he cannot fully comprehend. 
And since we find ourselves in the same kind of prison from time to time, I want to explore that a little bit further this morning. So my first big point is that the prison is a place of God's purposes. <clears throat> so when we look at this, we, we can see that, that prison can be a place of confusion. The circumstances can be confusion. The complications of life can be confusion. And, and, and the commands of life can also be confusing to us. So let's have a look at those things. The circumstances of life can be confusing. Because even before Jeremiah arrived in prison, his life had been a series of devastating circumstances. Let's have a look at just briefly at some of the things this guy faced. First of all, he'd been denied the comforts of love and family. Jeremiah 16 verse 2 says, You must not marry and have sons and daughters in this place. So God said to him, you can't, you can't be married, you can't have a family, you've got to be on your own. That's tough. He'd also been denied the comforts of encouragement and friendship. Jeremiah 15 verse 10 says this. Jeremiah is speaking, he says, Alas, my mother, that you gave me birth, a man with whom the whole land strives and contends. I have neither lent nor borrowed, yet everyone curses me. See, Jeremiah, he preached the truth. He stood for God and not a single person said thank you or offered a word of encouragement to him. So he had no friends. He had no family. He had no friends. He'd been denied the comfort of personal liberty because we find that Jeremiah the prophet was confined in the courtyard of the royal guard and the palace of Judah. So Jeremiah, he conducted much of his ministry from prison. So there can be little doubt when I, when I meditate on this and think about how was Jeremiah feeling. Uh, these circumstances, they would have caused confusion. They would have caused turmoil in his spirit. He'd been faithful to God and in spite of everything, Everyone seems to be against him, and he suffers greatly. In fact, there's no record that in 50 years of Jeremiah's ministry that he ever had a single convert. That's pretty tough, isn't it? Now let's apply that to ourselves for a moment. If we only look at the circumstances of our lives, we too can find ourselves confused. Sometimes it might seem that, that God isn't fair in the treatment of his servants. Life is hard at the best of times, and it seems that, that God's children also carry a great burden. I like the way that the writer of Ecclesiastes put it, looking at a man's life. He says, all his days, his work is pain and grief. Even at night, his mind does not rest. This too is meaningless. It's going like that. Life's hard. It's just too tough. Look at Job in the Old Testament. By God's own testimony, Job, Job was a godly, faithful servant. And you look how much Job suffered. It doesn't seem fair. Consider Jesus. No one ever was more righteous than he. And no one ever suffered as much as our Lord Jesus did. But what we fail to see, when we just look at our circumstances, is that God is operating on a higher plane than we can see. He's doing things we cannot fathom. He's moving in ways we cannot comprehend. God has used Job's tragedies to comfort millions. Millions of people have been comforted by reading the book of Job. Job had no idea what God was doing. And Jeremiah, well, his troubles were used to teach the nation about the judgment and faithfulness of God. But I think that Jeremiah, in the process, didn't grasp exactly everything that was going on either. So when your path makes no sense... And it seems that God's not treating you fairly. We need to remember two things. 
First of all, God is working out a good plan in your life. And you can trust him, even though you don't have all the details. And secondly, nowhere in the Bible does it say that God is specifically concerned about you having a nice day every day. He never says that. But it does say that he is just and he will always do right. Genesis chapter 18 verse 25 says, Shall not the judge of the earth do right? Life is tough, but God is going to do the right thing. We can trust him. So the circumstances of life can be confusing, but the complications of life can be confusing too. Because if we look back at Jeremiah, here he is, he's preaching the message that God's given him. He holds nothing back. He tells the truth. And what happens? He gets thrown into prison for his efforts. It seems to me that if I was Jeremiah, I think like, wow, now I'm tossed into prison here. I've, I've been shelved by God. This doesn't make sense. Have you ever been there? You know, where the wheels of life, they, they spin fast at times. There are times when, when life seems to be out of control. Your life becomes derailed in the blink of an eye. Well, we're facing that as a whole society, as a whole world at the moment. But sometimes there are other things that go on, you know. A person gets a promotion and you get passed over. Or maybe one day your spouse comes home and says, I don't want to be married to you anymore. Children that you've spent your best years bringing up, they move off in rebellion. Things happen. They arrive without warning. They're devastating their impact. They leave us wondering, if not allowed, at least in our hearts, where is God? And what is he doing? What's he doing to me? Sometimes it seems as though God's forgotten our address, doesn't it? It seems as though God has placed us on the back shelf, out of action. He's forgotten about us. Sometimes it seems like he doesn't care what we're facing. Sometimes it seems like he's nowhere to be found. The complications of life can be very confusing. Do you remember the New Testament, a guy called John the Baptist? He was the great preacher and the prophet who, who was locked away for preaching the word of God. He's the one who revealed that Jesus was the Messiah in the first place, and then he's locked away in prison, and he becomes a little confused, and he doubts, and he goes like, is, is Jesus in fact the Messiah? He was concerned. He was confused himself. He wasn't sure. So we're not alone in life when we, feel, when we get confused about life's complications. So circumstances can be confusing. Complications can be confusing. And the commands of life can be confusing as well. Because Jeremiah, think about it, he's locked up in prison. He's been preaching that Judah is about to fall into the hands of Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon. And even as he languishes in prison, the Babylonians, they're coming to execute judgment on the Israelites for their rebellion and their idolatry. And Jeremiah has prophesied that Judah is going to go into Babylonian, into Babylonian captivity for 70 years. So that's, that's the reality. That's what he's facing. The Babylonians are on the, at the walls of Jerusalem. They're besieging the place. And in the midst of this impossible situation, Jeremiah's uncle sends his son, Hanamel, to Jeremiah, asking Jeremiah to redeem a piece of property that belongs to Jeremiah's extended family. That doesn't sound like a good investment to me. What do you reckon? It makes no sense. I mean, surely the Babylonians possess that land already. And if they don't, they're about to. And they're going to possess it for at least 70 years. So Jeremiah has been asked to pay, to pay money for a piece of property that he would never be able to farm or never even be able to see. 
But God is in the matter. And Jeremiah bought the property as he was commanded. He fulfills all the legal requirements of such a transaction. From our lives, from our perspective, sometimes the commands of life can be confusing as well. So many pastors around the world told, close the doors of your church. That's confusing. Because I, I always thought I was supposed to fill up this place and get more people to come and get multiple services happening and all that sort of stuff. That's a bit confusing. What am I supposed to do as a pastor now? Well, what I'm doing now, obviously. But at the time, I was going like, I was a bit of a head spin. I really was. Sometimes God comes and makes requests that seem to make no sense. He might uproot you from a place where you've been serving for years. He might require you to, to give up something that you love very much. And I love preaching to a, to a building full of people. Bless you guys for being here. But, you know, all I can see now is, is this little eye watching me in the, in the camera. But when God shuts you up in the prison of his purposes, you can expect him to require some strange things from your life. But he doesn't ask us to do strange things to confuse us. He does it to accomplish his purposes. And that's where we need to get. We don't always know what God is doing, but as I've already said, we can trust him to do what is right because he's never going to lead us down the, the wrong path. Psalm 37 verse 23 says, If the Lord delights in a man's way, he makes his steps firm. I like that. If God delights in what I'm doing, he's going to make my steps firm. That gives me some solidness on the inside. But let's go back to, to the message. The, the prison can be a place of confusion, as, we, as we've just heard. But it can also be a place of incredible commitment. Because even though Jeremiah was in a difficult place, it's interesting to watch his life. He's confused about his circumstances, but he was committed to doing the Lord's will anyway. And his commitment to the Lord is easy to see. I want to read to you some more scripture. This time, Jeremiah chapter 32, verses 16 to 25. Jeremiah says this, he says, After I had given the deed of purchase to Baruch, son of Neriah, I prayed to the Lord. Ah, sovereign Lord, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and outstretched arms. Nothing is too hard for you. You show love to thousands, but bring the punishment for the father's sins into the laps of their children after them. O oh, great and powerful God, whose name is the Lord Almighty. Great are you in your purposes and mighty in your deeds. Your eyes are open to all the ways of men. You reward everyone according to his conduct and as his deeds deserve. You perform miraculous signs and wonders in Egypt and have continued them to this day, both in Israel and among all mankind, and have gained the renown that is yours. You brought your people Israel out of Egypt with signs and wonders by a mighty hand and an outstretched arm and with great terror. You gave them this land you had sworn to them to give to their forefathers, a land flowing with milk and honey. They came in and took possession of it, but they did not obey you or follow your way. They did not do what you commanded them to do, so you brought them all this disaster upon them. See how the siege ramps are built to take the city. Because of the sword, famine and plague, the city will be handed over to the Babylonians who are attacking it. What you said has happened, as you now see. And though the city will be handed over to the Babylonians, you, O sovereign Lord, say to me, buy the field with silver and have the transaction witnessed. Now what's going on for Jeremiah here in those verses? This is interesting. I see that this 
is going to be a place of commitment for Jeremiah because the prison can also become an incredible place of communion. Jeremiah doesn't understand completely the circumstances around about him. He didn't understand what the Lord was doing in his life, but he used the time as a time of personal growth and communion with the Lord. He praised God for his greatness. You hear that in his prayer. He praised God for his greatness, his glory, his power. He praised him for the things that he'd done in the past. Jeremiah was in a hard place, but he turned to the Lord in the prison and spent time with the Lord. That's interesting because the hard places of life can affect us in two ways. They can drive us away from God or they can drive us to God. That's what's going to happen in the hard places. When we find ourselves in one of the prison experiences of life, I believe there's no better thing for us to do than to spend time with God and to pray. When we turn from our fears and our doubts and our confusions to face the Lord, we're allowed to step out of our reality and into his presence. Aren't we invited to come before the throne of grace in the time of need? That's what the scripture says. Come before the throne of grace in your time of need. Step out of your circumstances into the presence of the almighty God. Prayer brings us into contact with the help and the resources we need to make it through our prison times. Now, prayer has never been an easy business, and it's made even more difficult when trials and troubles arise in our lives. But we must pray. We must seek the help of our Father. He cares about what we face, and he invites us to come to him for help in time of need. So the prison was a place of communion for Jeremiah. It also became a place of confidence. Let me read some more scripture. Verses 26 to about 44. Then the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. I am the Lord, the God of all mankind. Is anything too hard for me? Therefore, this is what the Lord says. I'm about to hand this city over to the Babylonians and to Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, who will capture it. The Babylonians who are attacking this city will come in and set it on fire. They'll burn it down, along with the houses where the people provoked me to anger by burning incense on the roofs to Baal and by pouring out drink offerings to other gods. The people of Israel and Judah have done nothing but evil in my sight from their youth. Indeed, the people of Israel have done nothing but provoke me with, their hand, with what their hands have made, declares the Lord. From the day it was built until now, this city has so aroused my anger and wrath that I must remove it from my sight. The people of Israel and Judah have provoked me by all the evil they have done. They, their kings and their officials, their priests and prophets, the men of Judah and the people of Jerusalem, they turned their backs to me and not their faces, though I taught them again and again. They would not listen or respond to discipline. They set up their abominable idols in the house that bears my name and defiled it. They built high places for Baal in the valley of Hinnom to sacrifice their sons and daughters to Molech, though I never commanded, nor did it enter my mind that they should do such a detestable thing and make Judah sin. You are saying about this city, by the sword, famine and plague, it will be handed over to the king of Babylon. But this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I will surely gather them from all the lands where I banished them in my furious anger and great wrath. I'll bring them back to this place and let them live in safety. They will be my people and I will be their God. I will give them singleness of heart and action so that they will always fear me 
for their own good and the good of their children after them. I will make an everlasting covenant with them. I will never stop doing good to them and I will inspire them to fear me so that they will never turn away from me. I'll rejoice in them in doing them good as assuredly and, 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 and surely plant them in this land with all my heart and soul. This is what the Lord says. As I've brought all great calamity on this people, so I'll give them all the prosperity I have promised them. Once more, fields will be bought in this land, of which you say it is desolate waste without men or animals, for it has been handed over to the Babylonians. Fields will be bought for silver, and deeds will be signed and sealed and witnessed in the territory of Benjamin, in the villages around Jerusalem, in the towns of Judah, and in the towns of the hill country, of the western foothills and of the Negev, because I will restore their fortunes, declares the Lord. In this prophecy, Jeremiah's got an idea what's going to happen now in the future it's fascinating what's going on here so this prison can now become an incredible place of of confidence for jeremiah jeremiah is confident that that god is doing something and that god is going to restore his people eventually and he tell and god tells jeremiah that that's going to happen that god is going to restore israel one day god is going to keep his covenant with him And Jeremiah declares that in all of his confusion, what he's been asked to do, he understands God has a plan and God has a purpose. I think that's where God wants us to get to as well as his followers. He wants us to come to a place where we do not need to know all the answers. He desires for us to come to a place where we trust him, even though what he's doing in us and around us seems to make no sense at all. I think one of the greatest Places are one of the greatest days in our lives is when we come to a place of final, peaceful contentment. Are you content with what God is doing? Are you content simply to trust him? Because Jeremiah had that kind of confidence. Jeremiah also had come to a place of compliance. And Jeremiah's character can be seen in how he responds to the Lord in this time of incredible confusion and personal pain. He simply did what the Lord asked him to do. Now, think about it again. You're in prison. You know you're not going to get out of prison. You know you're going to go in 70 years of captivity, no matter what. And God says, go and buy a piece of land. What does Jeremiah do? He doesn't understand. But he remains faithful to God and says, well, that's what you want me to do. That's what I'm going to do. You see, anyone can serve God. And keep his commands when it makes sense and the way is easy. However, it takes true commitment and dedication to the Lord's will when you don't understand what's going on, and especially when other people don't understand. Can you imagine Jeremiah making this transaction in front of the leaders and they're looking at him going like, you know, (laughs) stupid plight, giving all this money for this property. They're the Babylonians banging on the wall. tough imagine how abraham felt when when he was he's leading isaac his son up the mountain and he, and god says i want you to put your son to death put yourself in, in abraham's sandals that's a moment that requires incredible commitment because it makes no sense at all and yet when we read the story of abraham there's no hesitation in his response he just did whatever the lord asked him to do and i think that's what god is looking for from each one of us it's not always easy to obey god And it's made especially difficult when God's commands seem to make no sense. And it's 
Not easy to do when our hearts are breaking. Like when we're asked to close our church. My heart broke. But these are people I love. I've gotten to know really well. It's not easy. But God's looking for people who want to obey him. And obey him without question. Simply to do what he asks us to do. And I think that the Lord is really going to bless people who walk in that fashion. I mean, what's God asked all of us to do? Love one another. That's not easy. And it doesn't always make sense because we have to love some really unlovely people. But we're commanded to do that. So let's go about doing that as God's people. We've seen that the prison can be a place of confusion. We've seen that prison can be a place of commitment. But I want now to see that prison can also be an incredible place of comfort. Because we can be comforted by God's providence. Jeremiah is comforted by the Lord's ability to declare ahead of time what's going to take place in the future. He knows that the people are going into captivity for 70 years. But he also knows that there's a day coming when the people are going to come back. And it's going to be a prosperous, wonderful time for the nation. So he's reminded that God both works at both ends of time to accomplish his will in the world. Yes, Israel will be destroyed, taken captive, but they'll be brought out of captivity, restored to the land, and restored to fellowship with God. That's what Jeremiah promises to the people of Israel. So when we find ourselves in the prison of God's purposes, we need to take comfort in who our God is. We may not understand everything he's doing, but we can trust the fact he's in control. We serve a sovereign God who's working out his eternal plan. We can take comfort that he is in control. That's good, isn't it? I know my God is in control. I know he is sovereign over all things. Yes, right now it's difficult, but I know the end of the story. I've read this book. I know what comes in the end. And it's good news for everyone who's put their faith in Jesus as their saviour and their Lord. So we can be comforted by God's providence. We can also be comforted by God's power because Jeremiah is comforted by the power of God. Not only does God have the power to declare the future, he has the power to bring it to pass. It's not wishful thinking. So let me remind you that we serve a God of limitless power and ability. If you have a need in your prison, God can meet it. If you have a mountain, God can move it. If you're in a deep, dark valley, he knows the path out. He can and he will take care of your situation in his time and in his way. So we can be comforted by God's power. We can be comforted by God's providence. And we can also be comforted by God's presence. Because surely Jeremiah felt alone and deserted in his prison, yet the Lord was still with him. God spoke to him there in that prison, and God even used that prison amazingly to meet the needs of Jeremiah's life. Because in Jeremiah chapter 37, verse 21, King Zedekiah gave orders for Jeremiah to be placed in the courtyard of the guard and given bread from the street of the bakers each day until the bread in the city was gone. Well, you know what it's like at the moment. You've been out shopping, and things are gone because of all the mad people going, you know, hoarding and all that sort of stuff. Yet Jeremiah, with all that things, those things going on, was provided for each day. Others were starving and God was still using the prison to feed his man. That's good. Prison times of life can be frightening. They can make us feel as though we've been deserted by the Lord when we've been left to die. But regardless how things appear, we need to remember God's promise is that he will never leave us. The Lord Jesus says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. 
I'll be with you until the very end of the age. God is there. We can be comforted by his providence. We can be comforted by his power. We can be comforted by his presence. And we can be comforted by God's promises. When Jeremiah heard from the Lord in the prison, he was given the good news that things would work out in the end. Yes, it's a 70-year journey, but it's going to work out for good. The Lord came with his promise that all will be well in the end. And surely that word from the Lord cheered the heart of the prophet in his prison. And Jeremiah leaned heavily on the word of God. Jeremiah 15 verse 16 says, When your words came, I ate them. They were my joy and my heart's delight. For I bear your name, O Lord God Almighty. Can we also eat God's word? Well, I'm not talking about chewing on your Bible. That's a bit of paper. But devour it. Read it. Get it inside you. And once you have the word of God in you, in your heart, in your mind, in your soul, when it's there, God will speak to you and you can be comforted by all of God's promises in that way. So as we journey through this life, we often find ourselves that what can, in what can only be described as prisons. We find hope and comfort in our prison. Why? How? By leaning on the promises of the Lord. As God says to Jeremiah, Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is anything too hard for me? There is nothing that is too hard for our God. God will get us through this present hiccup that we're facing. There's nothing too hard for him. And I believe that God is going to be growing the kingdom in this time. Because as thousands of pastors around the world are forced now back onto the internet like never before, we're going to be able to preach and people are going to be able to hear and they're going to know about Jesus. and They're going to know him as Saviour and Lord. And we're going to see the kingdom continue to grow. Nothing is too hard for our God. So don't worry if the world laughs at you because you call yourself a Christian and we don't run in pursuit of worldly pleasures. We separate ourselves. We follow an ancient religion that demands holiness and obedience from its followers. The world in general doesn't understand that and they mock us often. But there's a day coming of vindication, brothers and sisters. That last day when we stand before God and God welcomes us and says, come, be with me forever. I'm looking forward to that day. But I want to ask you a question. Are you in prison today, in a prison of God's purposes? Is God doing something in your life that doesn't make sense? Is he allowing some things to happen that just don't add up? Is he working out some plan that you just can't seem to get a handle on? Are you confused and concerned about some of the things that are happening to you? Do you find yourself doubting him more than trusting him? Do you need a word from the Lord in your prison? Well, I believe that if you come to God, just like Jeremiah did, and pour out your heart before him, you can look to God for all the guidance that you need. I believe that God has a word for us here as Christians, that he's going to get us through this situation and that we're going to see the kingdom grow. And I believe that God has a word for those of you who still need Jesus in their hearts for the first time as Saviour and Lord. In difficult times, you need to turn to God because every other foundation that we have has been torn apart. We've seen the GFC in our times, so you can't rely on your finances. We've seen now an incredible virus coming through the place. You can't rely on your physical health. What can you rely on in this world? The government doesn't know what to do most of the time. You can't rely on them. You can only rely on the one true God. You need to come to him through Jesus. 
Those that call upon the name of the Lord will be saved, it says in the scriptures. I believe that to be true. I've nailed my colours to the mast. I've trusted in Jesus as my Saviour and my Lord. And you need to do the same. Call on the name of the Lord and you will be saved. Would you join me in prayer? Father, thank you. Thank you for this opportunity to explore your word, to read it, to try and understand it, and to recognise that ancient words are still relevant even today. Thank you for the wonder of Jesus who came into this world, who lived the life we couldn't live, but should have lived, who died the death that belonged to us when we turned away from you and took all of your punishment on our, on our behalf. Today again, afreshly, we put our faith in him. We trust you, Lord Jesus. You are our saviour and you are our Lord. We praise you. We thank you. Amen. Of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all now and forevermore. Amen.